Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. And before we begin this story, I have an announcement for you. With this episode, we're celebrating our 1,001st episode for the 1001 Stories Network, which I launched in January of 2015. My idea at the time was to create a conglomerate of stories borrowed from four basic themes, heroes, legends, histories, and mysteries. And that idea just kept blossoming. I've never run out of inspiration and ideas because there are so many great stories out there. Each story to me is a treasure that I want to share with others. I see it as a journey, an adventure if you will, and researching a story, to me at least, is like an archaeological dig, hoping to find gems that will inform, entertain, and sometimes inspire. Doing a story on Raiders of the Lost Ark for episode number 1001 is a fitting tribute to the show as we share something in common with the concept of the movie, the search for historical treasures. From 1001 Heroes and the search for historical treasures came the search for literary treasures. 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, 1001 Stories for the Road, and our other 1001 shows that feature narration of some of the greatest stories which are now in the public domain short and long, and that has been and remains a very satisfying quest and yet another way to share with those who enjoy great stories. My appreciation for men and women writers of classic literature has grown tenfold these past few years, and few things are more exciting to me than being able to discover and share these stories from a wide variety of genres. To me, you can get much more from a well-written story than you'll ever get from movies or TV. Stories stimulate your thinking. They make you imagine. They allow you to see things you'll never get out of a movie. It's like walking the same path you've been driving for years. When you walk it, you're going to see all that you missed when you were racing by in a car. When we read it, we're walking that path, and every word, every nuance is a treasure waiting to be discovered. I never could have imagined back in 2015 that this journey would be getting millions of downloads every year from listeners all around the world, and I'm humbly grateful for all of you who have stuck with me all these years. I'm also grateful to my fifth grade teacher for lighting a fire under me which opened my eyes to the wonder of books, and to my wife and kids for their patience and support throughout this journey into the new spoken media called podcasting. There's an effort underway to grow podcasting into more of a visual medium and I believe that will just become more TV, 
What makes podcasting special is the sharing of spoken content and the bond that's created between the listener and the host. It's a modern version of the world's oldest art, the art of storytelling, and may it live and flourish forever. In today's episode, we'll take a deep dive into what inspired the creation of the Indiana Jones story. The actual archaeological searches ordered by Hitler and his regime to recover artifacts, which they believe would prove the superiority of the Aryan race, giving them, the Nazis, the inherited right to take over all of Europe. Not only was their premise flawed in many ways, but they themselves took part in criminal acts, espionage, and intimidation in order to accomplish their means. Under the command of Heinrich Himmler and Hermann Wirth, the Nazi regime created the dreaded Ananerbi, sending expeditions to Iceland, Tibet, Kafiristan, North Africa, Russia, Egypt, the Far East, South America, Egypt, and the Arctic. They systematically looted much of the ancient world in their insane search, leaving the rest of the world with a strong reminder of what power in evil hands can accomplish. In Raiders of the Lost Ark, an archaeology professor at Marshall College finds himself pitted against the Nazis in a search for the Lost Ark of the Covenant, a story in itself which we recently covered in the episode Tesla and the Ark. The development of this plotline resulted in what many consider to be the greatest adventure movie of all time, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Although the movie story is entirely fictional, the script borrows much from actual history, beginning with the fact that the Nazis had become very interested in the world of the occult. There was a native population of Chachapoyans in the Peruvian Andes. They did have a temple similar to the one in which Indiana Jones discovered his crystal skull. It did have one long and narrow entrance which prevented it from being stormed by a large force, and the Nazis not only wanted to prove that they belonged to the master race, but they also sought religious objects which could give them power. The Nazis did believe that the long-lost Ark of the Covenant could give them power, and they did search for it. In the movie, Indy becomes the first to discover the Ark and the Well of Souls, and although the Ark has never been found, the Well of Souls does exist, as does the archaeological site of Tanis in Africa. But the Well of Souls is in Jerusalem, not in Africa, not in Tanis. These are just a few of the examples of how real history was woven into the script, and we'll cover many more as our story unfolds. We'll also take a deep dive into the making of the movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and some of the challenges that the actors and film crews had to deal with, filming in extreme heat with literally thousands of snakes, many of which were poisonous. A generous supply of anti-venom had to be kept on hand. How popular was the fictional character of Indiana Jones? The American Film Institute has ranked him as the second greatest hero of all time. Right behind Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird in 1962. James Bond in Dr. No came in at three. Casablanca's Rick Blaine came in at four. Marshall Will Kane in High Noon, number five. And by the way, Harrison Ford is the only actor with two spots in the top 20, thanks to his portrayal of Han Solo in Star Wars. And now, our story. At the center of Nazi ideology was the belief that the Aryan race was comprised of peoples who had once populated the continent of Atlantis, and that these people were a super race, deservedly destined to rule all other races. Relying upon the theories and writings of German prehistorian Gustav Cosina, Two groups of scholars were formed to take Cosina theories and tie them into the belief that Germany was the place where civilization began. One group was called Amt Rosenberg, and another, the Ananerbi. 
and Amt Rosenberg was led by former journalist-turned-archaeologist Alf Rosenberg, who believed the Germans were descended from Atlanteans, and that they had been in battle with Jews since the beginning of time. Rosenberg became the head of the Reich Ministry for Eastern Territories in 1941 and wielded a lot of power, which resulted in sending millions of Jews to the gas chambers. He was captured after the war, sentenced to death, and executed at the Nuremberg Trials in 1946. The Ananubi took on the challenge of digging for ancestral roots that could tie the Germans with ancient civilizations. Heinrich Himmler directed them to find the pieces to their heritage by investigating the space, spirit, accomplishments, and heritage of the Indo-Germanic peoples, and their work, being mostly pseudoscience, was then easily converted into Nazi propaganda promoting the mastery of the Aryan race. While they were digging for ancestral roots, they also stole millions of dollars worth of art and artifacts. This well-funded group of believers had backgrounds in archaeology, anthropology, and historical research, and it was their responsibility to find evidence that supported the theory that the Aryan race, which was best represented by Germans, was the first and best race, and that everyone else was basically inferior. So they set out to find all the proof they could find from sites of early civilizations that the Aryan people somehow had a hand in spearheading all of civilization. As the Nazi power structure grew in the 30s and their treasure pile grew, money began to flow, and soon the Nazis were sending expeditions out all over the world to bring back proof of their involvement in early cultures. There was the 1928 expedition of Edmund Kiss to Bolivia to study ruined temples in the Andes Mountains. He claimed that their similarity to early ancient monuments clearly indicated that they were designed by Nordic migrants millions of years earlier. Kiss is labeled today as a pseudo-archaeologist, and his findings were pure claptrap. But to Hitler and Himmler, he was a valuable part of their propaganda machine. The search for Atlantis took Nazi explorers to a number of locations, including Iceland and the Canary Islands. In 1938, the Nazis sent an expedition to Tibet to study skulls, and they did just that carefully measuring 376 native skulls and comparing their features to Aryan skulls. Also in 1938, the Nazis sent Franz Allman and his partner Erika Troutman to the Middle East to research the possibility that there had been an ancient power struggle between Nordic and Semitic peoples within the Roman Empire. They also funded an expedition to find the Holy Grail, the cup that Jesus drank from at the Last Supper. And failing to find that, they did manage in 1939 to steal the Bayou Tapestry from the Bayou Cathedral in France, which was a huge tapestry created to detail the events leading up to the Norman Conquest with the Battle of Hastings in 1066. From this art treasure, the Nazis attempted to deduce that, that it was a symbol of German, i.e. Saxon superiority. All this craziness was done for the cause of supporting the Nazi worldview that blended science and culture into one easy package and to create their own set of truths. If nothing else, Nazi history teaches us to look very closely and with wide-awake eyes at any group that pretends to be the arbiters of the truth. Be most wary of the groups that seek to cancel all opposite thought and will not listen to both sides. The Nazis indoctrinated their youth beginning at age 10 with these truths, and by age 18, they were ready to sacrifice themselves for the greater good. Anyone who questioned Nazi authoritism was imprisoned or killed outright. All media was state-owned, and there was no dissenting opinion allowed. Jews became the primary target of hatred for the Nazis, as well as communists. In Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was the first of the Indiana Jones series, our hero, Indiana Jones, an archaeology professor, finds himself competing against Nazis in search of the Lost Ark of the Covenant. 
in case you missed our episode titled Tesla in the Ark. The Lost Ark is mentioned in the Book of Kings as being a sacred box lined with gold that contained the stones on which the Ten Commandments were written. The box couldn't be touched by its handlers, who used long wooden poles to carry it, and it provided the Jews with extra powers in battle. Historians know, according to the Bible, that it had been housed in Solomon's temple until the Babylonians destroyed the temple in 586 B.C., after which its location has been unknown, although there are strong opinions as to what happened to it. One legend states that Pharaoh Shishkak captured it in 926 B.C. and took it back to Egypt, and that's the legend that's woven into the raiders' plot and you'll hear them mention Pharaoh Shishkak. According to the raider's story, Indiana Jones finds the Ark in Tanis in northeast Egypt, and again the script is true to history, as Tanis is a big archaeological site, although the Ark wasn't found there or anywhere. But it is a fact that the Hebrew story of Moses is located at Tanis, and that the Tanis site hosts ruins of ancient temples, sacred lakes, and a royal necropolis. Tombs there were found intact, containing jewelry, precious stones, gold, and funerary masks, in the late 18th century by finders Petri and August Mariette. In the 30s, as mentioned, the Nazis were busy excavating in Egypt. There they found and confiscated the bust of Nefertiti, which Hitler refused to return to Egypt. In Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones beats the Germans to the Ark, finding it in the Well of Souls, which is also a real thing. It is a partly natural, partly man-made cave inside the noble rock in Jerusalem, not in Tanis, not in Tanis, Egypt. During the Crusades, it was known as the Holy of Holies, and it was believed that the spirits of the dead can be heard awaiting their judgment day. It's located beneath Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. In 1871, Jerusalem was visited by the explorer and Arabist Sir Richard Francis Burton and his wife Lady Burton, who later described their entering the Well of Souls, or the Bir el Arwa, as the Arab Muslims called it. David and Solomon, as well as Elijah and Muhammad, all knew this place called the Well of Souls. The second Indiana Jones movie, The Temple of Doom, contains a story which, which supposedly takes place prior to the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and many people believe that The Temple of Doom was the first Raiders movie released for that reason. The opening of The Temple of Doom finds Indiana Nightclub, where he is poisoned over control of a jade urn. The urn contains the remains of the first emperor of the Manchu dynasty, who was a real historic figure, namely Nurhasi, who had become famous for his military conquests. The inspiration for Indy's situation no doubt comes from the real-life story of explorer Ernst Schaefer, who was approached by the German consul and, re- and recruited into the SS Anunnabi before traveling with a team of archaeologists to Tibet. The movie The Temple of Doom also brings up the little-known topic of the one-time existence of a religious sect called the Thuggies, who became known for attaching themselves to travelers under the guise of helping them and then murdering them for their possessions. The Thuggies were active for several hundred years in India and were believed to have killed anywhere between 50,000 and 1 million people. In the third movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Indy is battling Nazi mystics while searching for the Holy Grail a search which takes him from the canals of Venice to the deserts of Turkey. No real historic events or sites are mentioned, but veiled references are made to the Knights Templar and legends as to the whereabouts of the Holy Grail. The fourth movie, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, was set in 1957, 19 years after the Last Crusade, and sets Indy up against Soviet agents. The story dovetails much more closely with real history, 
by taking Indy to South America to find the crystal skull. And yes, a number of crystal skulls were produced from South America, some more convincing than others, but all have determined to be fakes. When the crystal skulls first reached the market, they were believed to have paranormal powers, and this is what the script relies upon as it sends Nazi agents to steal a crystal skull from a museum in Berlin. One common theme that runs through all the Raiders movies is that the professor is actually working to gather intelligence for the U.S. In reality, archaeologists have been used in the past for the same purpose. I'll give you two examples. Lawrence of Arabia was a Brit spy who was used to recruit agents and spy on German forces during World War I. And Nazi archaeologists, Altime and Troutman, previously mentioned, were employed in the service of the Nazi government to spy in the Middle East. The intriguing Nazca lines in Peru, so often mentioned in Chariots of the Gods, are mentioned in this story. The Nazca lines are used as a plot device, those being a series of geoglyphs, or surface drawings, hundreds of yards long in some examples, that represent birds and animals, and are only visible by airplane. They are one of the great unsolved mysteries of the world. The fact that they could only be seen from the air has led more than one researcher to surmise that there was once a civilization that was ruled by people who flew some type of crap, call it aliens if you want, but the thought there is that they were extremely advanced. Those Nazca lines have been dated back to 400 B.C., so you can see why so much controversy has arisen regarding their origin and the civilization that created them. We'll return with the making of the movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right after these sponsor messages. And now, back to our story. Directed by Steven Spielberg and written by Lawrence Kasdan and released in 1981, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the most successful films ever made. It's based on a story by George Lucas and Philip Kaufman and stars Harrison Ford, Karen Allen, Paul Freeman, Ronald Lacey, Denholm Elliott, and John Reese davies As you already know from the first half of our story, Harrison Ford portrays a globe-trotting archaeologist vying with Nazi agents in 1936 to recover the long-lost Ark of the Covenant. Teaming up with his tough former lover Marion Ravenwood, played by Karen Allen, Jones races to stop rival archaeologist Dr. René Belloc from guiding the Nazis to the Ark and its perceived power. George Lucas conceived Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1973, right around the time he finished American Graffiti. Two years later, he had a meeting with his pal scriptwriter Philip Kaufman, seeking to modernize the RKO serial films that Lucas had soaked up as a boy. He developed the idea further with Kaufman, who suggested the Ark as the film's goal. More brainstorming produced the name of the would-be hero, Indiana Smith. Lucas wanted Kaufman to direct the movie, but Kaufman was working on the outlaw Josie Wales, and the idea was shelved, as Lucas eventually focused on developing his 1977 space opera, Star Wars. Development on Raiders of the Lost Ark resumed that year when Lucas, enjoying some beach time in Hawaii a few blankets away from Steven Spielberg, shared the idea with Spielberg, who was enjoying the same resort in the wake of the success of his close encounters. And Spielberg liked the idea, joining the project several months later. Spielberg suggested that Lucas directed himself, to which Lucas answered, I'm retired. If you want it, it's yours. While the pair had ideas for significant scenes in the film, they hired writer Lawrence Kasdan to fill in the gaps between them. The first name of the hero, Indiana, named after Lucas's pet Malamute, stayed, and Smith was changed to Jones. All they had to do now was cast it. Spielberg wanted his girlfriend Amy Irving to play the leading lady, but she was tied up with something else. Lucas wanted Deborah Winger for the role, 
but she turned it down. Instead, 28-year-old actress Karen Allen got the role of Marion Riverwood. Recalling how Spielberg used a very informal casting process, he asked her, How well do you spit? The first choice for Indy's buddy Sala was Danny DeVito, who couldn't agree on a salary, so the part went to John Reese davies who later quipped upon hearing that the role had been offered to DeVito, What do you want me to do, cut myself off at the knees? They had a bunch of auditions for the hero, and Tom Selleck came out as the obvious choice. But Selleck was being held as an option for Magnum P.I., and his contract wouldn't let him go. You have probably noticed that Tom Selleck has never been without work in movies or TV. Lucas and Spielberg both called CBS, which was then still considering the pilot episode of Magnum P.I. and trying to decide whether or not to go forward with that. But after getting calls from both Spielberg and Lucas, they decided that Selleck was definitely worth keeping. Now Lucas and Spielberg were under pressure to find their hero. They had ten days before filming started. Legend has it that Harrison Ford had always been under consideration, but his face was already too well known from Star Wars. The way they tell it now, Spielberg was watching The Empire Strikes Back a few days later and decided that Ford was the guy. Ford drove a hard bargain, though. He wanted an extensive rewrite of his character, a seven-figure salary, and 7% of the gross. He was heard to say, I don't want Jones to become a professor solo. After some extensive physical work and bullwhip training for Ford, filming started June 22, 1980, in the seas off the French town of La Rochelle. And this is a sidebar. If you ever want a great description of the sea off of La Rochelle, try our episode called The Wreck at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, a story in which Guy de Maupassant describes that sea off of La Rochelle to a T. It was too much of a coincidence that came up. I thought I'd throw that in there for you literary archaeologists. The floor within the Well of Souls was supposed to be covered with live snakes, and even though there were 2,000 snakes on the soundstage, Spielberg wanted more. So he shut down filming for a day while 4,500 extra cobras and rattlers were brought in from Denmark. Then they found out that the production's anti-venom supply was two years out of date, and filming had to be stopped again. Then, just when they started to resume shooting, Stanley Kubrick's daughter Vivian, visiting her dad's shoot nearby for The Shining, wandered onto the set and commented how the snakes were being treated cruelly, which shut the set down again while they called in the RSPCA. The one person not bothered by the setbacks was co-star Karen Allen, because she didn't relish having to walk among the snakes, which her role called for. And although she did in certain parts, snake handler Steve Edge had to shave his legs and don her dress to make the final walk. You could just catch those somewhat larger ankles in some short clips. When the filming moved to Tunisia, the desert temperature was hovering around 130 degrees. One of the first scenes to be filmed was a fistfight between Indy and a big German mechanic. The fight was taking place under the propellers of an aircraft that was readying for takeoff. The rehearsals went well, but during the filming, Harrison Ford slipped and his toe became lodged under a wheel, a moving wheel. The pilot of the moving plane pumped the brakes, and Ford narrowly missed getting his knees crushed. Call it indie luck, if you will, but it was close. Then it was on to Cairo, where Indy was to get involved in a fight, bullwhip against sword. And by that time, Ford was suffering from a bad case of dysentery. The sword handler wasn't much of a sword handler. And Ford was tired of the hot retakes, between which he had to constantly run to the privy. He finally suggested to Spielberg, let's just shoot the effer. And they did. And in one of the last scenes, Ford was supposed to hang on to the undercarriage of a 30s vintage Waco biplane, 
but his dangling legs and weight caused the biplane to veer off from the lake it was flying over and into the trees where it crashed. Indy's luck was with him again, and no one was seriously hurt. And in the movie, you'll see him riding in the plane and not hanging underneath. Film was shot on time and under budget and opened on June 12, 1981 on over 1,000 screens. It bagged over $8 million and went on to become the most successful movie of the year, taking $367 million and later being nominated for eight Oscars. It was a critical success, receiving praise for its modern take on older serial films and its non-stop action and adventure. The cast were all praised, particularly Ford, Allen, and Freeman. Raiders of the Lost Ark received numerous award nominations and, among others, won five Academy Awards, seven Saturn Awards, and one BAFTA Award. In the years since its release, the film has grown in esteem, and many now consider it to be among the greatest films of all time, one of the greatest films of the 1980s, and one of the greatest action-adventure films ever made. It had a significant impact on popular culture. The film's success spawned a lot of imitators across the media and inspired a variety of filmmakers, and it continues to influence modern media. Raiders of the Lost Ark is the first film in what would become the Indiana Jones franchise, and that includes three more films, as we've already mentioned, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which was number two, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It also inspired television series, video games, comic books, novels, theme park attractions, toys, board games, collectibles, and much more. Here's some smaller details that you might enjoy knowing if you're going to watch the movie anytime soon. Writer Kasdan scripted detailed montages during the transition between locations, but Spielberg saved money by showing a map and an animated line traveling between destinations. It looked very much like the beginning of Casablanca, if you've ever seen that movie. Another note, skulls and rotting bodies made by chief makeup artist Tom Smith filled the Well of Souls catacombs. He used actual skulls for reference. To get the monkey to salute, the trainer hit it on the head to make it touch the affected area. When this didn't work, the filmmakers hung a grape over its head to encourage it to reach up. It took 50 takes to capture the monkey performing the Nazi salute. Also, a partially deaf rat was used for the scene of the Ark humming in the hold of the Bantu wind, giving it a unique and unnatural head movement. Indiana Jones' attire, his leather jacket and khaki pants, were based on Humphrey Bogart's attire in The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and Charlton Heston's outfit in The Secret of the Incas, 1954. Costume designer Deborah Nadulman Landis found Jones's hat in Berman's and Nathan's London, she dumped boxes of hats on the floor for Ford to try on. After picking the right style, Nadulman Landis went to Herbert Johnson Hatters and purchased an Australian model that she aged with Fuller's Earth and Mineral Oil, and then scrunched beneath a bed. The hat allowed them to create a recognizable image, even in silhouette. Sound effects supervisor Ben Burt recorded the film's many sounds. The snake slithering sound is a mix of Burnt running his hands through cheese casserole and wet sponges being dragged across grip tape. The rolling boulder is a Honda Civic driving down a gravel hill, and the arc lid opening is the sound of a toilet cistern being opened. The arc spirits are the cries of sea lions and dolphins filtered through a bow coder. Jones's revolver is the sound of a Winchester rifle firing, while his whip crack was made by recording Ford using the whip. By the summer of 1981, June through September, the film industry had been in decline for over a year. There had been few box office successes and rising film production costs, diminishing audiences, 
and rising ticket prices were taking a toll. The summer period of 81 was predicted to be down 10%, or $250 million, against the previous year. Studios were desperate to make the next blockbuster film that could generate as much revenue in a short period as an average film could in a year. Studios scheduled more than 60 films for release, more than the previous year. This increased competition to attract an audience, most of which comprises those aged 12 to 24 at the most profitable time of the film year. The superhero film Superman II was expected to dominate the season. It was already doing well outside North America. Based on industry experts and audience polling, Superman II was widely anticipated, followed by the comedy film History of the World Part One and the latest James Bond film, For Your Eyes Only, and the comedies Nice Dreams and The Great Muppet Caper, and the science fiction film Outland. Conversely, audience polling by CinemaScore showed that there was no awareness or anticipation for Raiders of the Lost Ark until nationwide previews a week prior to its release. But by the end of its run, Raiders of the Lost Ark had earned an approximate box office gross of $212 million. This figure made it the highest grossing film of 1981, ahead of the drama film On Golden Pond, which made $119 million, Superman II, $108 million, and the comedy film Stripes, which made $85 million. According to estimates by Box Office Mojo, that indicated that over 77 million people bought tickets to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. Can be labeled Raiders of the Lost Ark as an instant classic and one of the most humorous and stylish American films ever made. He described it as having redefined the old serial films into the most perfect form for a modern audience. Roger Ebert called it a series of breathless and incredible adventures inspired by and celebrating childhood stories told in comic books and movies. He concluded that the film was successful in its singular goal of entertaining, creating an adventure epic in the vein of Star Wars, the James Bond films, and Superman. Writing for The Hollywood Reporter, Arthur Knight said that Lucas and Spielberg had successfully created another goldmine film. The review continued that a constant stream of thrills kept the film moving at a steady pace. Raiders of the Lost Ark led to an increase in students studying archaeology, and many modern archaeologists have cited the film as an inspiration. John Rhys Davies said that he had met over 150 lecturers, professors, and archaeologists who told him that their interest in the field began with that film. Conversely, archaeologist Winford Creamer described Jones as the worst thing to happen to archaeology, as he walks a fine line between what is an archaeologist and what is a professional looter. We hope you enjoyed our story, the true story behind the Raiders of the Lost Ark. We always appreciate reviews at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries, and here are a few recent ones. The first one, five stars. I love listening to this show. We listen to it every night when we go to bed. Interesting topics and easy to listen to. That one from I'm a Morning Girl, Apple Podcast, Canada. And this one, Greatest Podcast, Five Stars. I love this podcast. Very informative and easy to follow. I love that there are a variety of topics. Down from David Gaz, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, Five Stars. Fantastic. Plowing through all these episodes. What took me so long to find this? Great and varied topics with awesome delivery. The thing I like most is that you can tell that John has a real interest in the stories and is thrilled to be sharing them with us. I love it and have been telling all my friends. Thank you, Robert Hammond. Down from Hellbilly Outlaw, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you very much for taking the time to write, to write us these reviews. They are greatly appreciated. We'll return next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon. <laughs> <laughs>